You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. I was just telling Nick how, how he is a famous Instagram model. Did you know that, Bracken? I did not. Scrolling through Instagram today, and uh, Nick popped up giving giving me a rower tutorial on how to, and I didn't even. It's not not even an account I follow. It just popped right. It was fed to me. I was like, I recognize that guy. I figured it was your personal account, but it was D One Training. D One Training, a social media guy. Yeah, he's pretty good. Now I didn't know anything about his rowing prowess until High Rock Chicago. We get done afterwards, and we're comparing stories, and everyone's like, yeah, I reckon you look so tired. You were laying prone on the ground in between your rows, and Nick's oddly quiet, and he says, yeah, I did the whole row. Yeah, I look over, and you're just dead on the ground, and then I look over, and Callie's dead on the ground. I'm like, I think I think we can beat him now. <laughs> He's He did the whole row all by himself, so apparently there is some rowing acumen there. It's the 2-1 principle, I learned. Yeah, our guy came over and said, hey, can you teach us how to like, just like make a video on rowing? And I was like in the middle of my workout. I said, okay. And that's what I came up with. You knew what you were doing. Is it 2-1 principle, one count back, two yeah. counts forward? That's what, I, yeah. mm, that's what I've read up on. You by far had the slowest cadence in that, in that event when I was watching video of it. But I believe you, you still had one of the fastest splits, correct? Me at High Rocks yeah. or... Or wherever yeah, I saw it, maybe I think Deca, it was, where I, wherever I saw you rowing last, you for sure had the slowest cadence, but I believe you got on and off of that thing faster than anybody. Yeah. Um, at High Rocks, I had the fastest rowing. Um, it just made sense because the transitions are too long, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, you play that game. We decided yeah. to play the rest up game, give a second or two of transition to get some break, and he's like, now nah, we're going shoot yeah, those seconds. Because Alicia says she needs a break to go run. I'm like, well, okay, well, four minutes break for you pretty much. And our fastest run was after that. So it worked. Well, you're a monster. Yeah. Maybe they're just smarter than you and Callie were bragging. Well, they, they did beat us. <laughs> Podiums, Kirk. Podiums. All that matters. Nick, the last time we talked to you, you were at work, and now you're at work again. So my guess is you are gr- still grinding away these days, huh? Yeah. I, if I'm not at my home, I'm here all day at work. Is it? Kirk, I've been in that office. Yeah, you, yeah, you guys got Bracken's been here. He's visiting me. It looks yeah, nice. Him and VJ. And? They visited, did a run. Uh, then we played football the for a while. Stand? Yeah, through the football for a while. <laughs> We almost got a game of spike ball going. Um, then Bracken said he had to go see his kids, which mm. I don't understand, but he did. Yeah. That doesn't sound like me. <laughs> I, I want to know because, uh, you know, I'm in the same line of work as you, at least like fitness. Back when I was really grinding, when I worked for somebody else, it was one mm-hmm. of those things where like the more you hung around at the gym or the studio, the busier you got because you needed to be around, either take new clientele or teach classes or just show face. So I used to live there too. It'd be like, well, I'm going in and if I don't have anybody to train, I'm still going to be here doing something or hanging out just so I can like grind and build my clientele. Um, Is that sort of what you got going on? I know you're teaching a lot of classes too, but I'm curious. Oh, I I don't coach. I don't coach at all. Oh, you don't? I work at the, um, yeah, I work in the office as sales at the gym. So my main role here, probably 80% of our role, my role is um, 
all our leads that we get through social media or any call-ins or walk-in leads, I nurture them to get them scheduled to come in to take the classes. And then we have either me or another person, we sell them after their class. So my main role is on the phones, calling all our leads throughout the day. You're the lead lead nurturer? Yeah, lead nurturer. Cute. I'm surprised. I'm surprised, though, that you're not in there, like, kicking butts, just knowing you. Um, isn't that so? Is that something that you're, like, entertaining doing it all, or are you just not, that's not no. what you're interested in? I, um, when I first got to Nashville, I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to be, like, a group fitness coach, personal training. And nobody, I didn't have any experience in that, so nobody would hire me. So this company, D1, had a just a front desk position open. So I applied got hired. I said, okay, I'll do this. And then if I learn from the coaches, get some experience, they meet me, they'll become a coach. And then just seeing them coach, like trying, like just grinding away, being there from like 6 a.m. to like 9 p.m. And then my boss was like, just groom me. Say, if you go on the business side, you might have a chance to make more money. And I did. And I am, I'm glad I did because I really enjoyed it actually. And, I'll, and like, I, and I can still get to see their membership. I've actually coached a couple classes when we have like coaches sick and stuff and that's cool but i i like what i do way more cool yeah that uh that personal trainer grind i know rich ryan can speak to it as well it's why he left yeah. it's like you get up at four thirty, you train clients starting at five or six and then again you do them after work and so those days are just long yeah. and split and not that it's not good work but it, it can wear on you if yeah if that's the schedule you're running every day exactly and um it was funny it's uh the tie back to your guys's podcast becca jones the Tennessee mile, she opted into one of our ads and I called her and she was being like, she's awesome. But she was just like seeing, I was like a salesman kind of, and she was not having it. And it, but it finally clicked like who she was. I went, wait a second. I said, wait a second. This Becca Jones from the Tennessee mile and guests from the running public instantly loved me then. So did she then opt in and come to a class? Uh, no, she said her kid's too busy. It was for her kid, but it, her, she said her oh, kid's yeah. too busy with track. She was just trying to get some information. But I was like, well, small world. Small world indeed. I was messaging her this week. Messaged her this week. We were chatting about a, a hydration pack. And? Yeah. What'd you get? There's not much to it. She, she's a, she runs in primarily ultras, and this was a... Uh, pack designed by Amanda Basham from Ultra, and I didn't know if she had some overlap with either Amanda or that pack. Turned out she didn't. It was dead end. A cold lead, Nick. We don't like cold leads. Um, last time we talked to you, Nick, I feel like it was very different uh, entry or approach to this conversation. It pleases me. Can I cut you yeah, off? Yeah, please. If you haven't listened to part one with Nick Riker, hit pause right now. Go back and listen to part one because part one is mandatory listening in order to listen to this. Sometimes we have recurring guests with no flow or no tie between the two episodes. This is chapter two of this book that's Nick Riker. So now he's not just an Instagram model now. There are things that came before this. So please stop this episode. You'll get so much more out of it if you go back and listen to the first one. I believe. Sorry, Kirk. Continue. No, no. It's, you're being a good host, Brack. It's like you do this for a living. I uh, I think the last time we talked, I believe when you made a post about it, you said sometimes you need a good cry with your boys. Yeah. And we had a good conversation about hardship and everything you'd been going through. And then shit, man, I... I'm a betting man, and I wouldn't have bet that you'd come back as fast as you did because 
you were in a you were in a world of hurt man and you were it was like everything was going wrong your body wasn't responding we were you were still in that situation when we talked to you and then fast forward it was like four months and something started clicking so like i'm, I'm happy to have this conversation with you now what what the heck has yeah. been going on set us up oh dude, i don't i try to wrap my head around it the best i can i mean just our episode was a year ago and I was like, I was, I was pretty, I was down pretty bad. Like I honestly, like nothing really got me. I was just really sad all the time. Like I was, didn't know what, if I was ever going to get healthier with my UC. I honestly thought this was going to be like two or three or four or five years. I might get better. Um, and honestly, I don't know what it was. I think it, I honestly, your guys' episode, just getting it all off my chest. Cause I never really talked about it to anybody. Because nobody could understand. I know Kirk, like you have family members with it, um, and like you guys were just very understanding. And just getting that off my chest, it just finally allowed me to say I'm not a victim anymore of this, and it's time to start getting better. And then every day, I just had that same mindset: Hey, you have to start getting better. Like you can't feel sorry for yourself anymore. You just and it over a year, it's just even in four months, I started getting a little better. But I wouldn't say I've gotten officially like I feel like my old self till. December of what? December of 2021. I feel like there's a lot more to that. There is, there is. I you know, I <laughs> there is a lot more to it. Yeah, um, I don't know if you want to ask anything else, but yeah, it was just it was constantly like so. Like obviously, medicine helps. Like I had a drug called Ativio that helped a lot, um, and then just getting outside, doing workouts again. Uh, I work at a group fitness facility. I jumped into those workouts. And I immediately just started gaining a little bit of weight, started feeling a little bit better. And then I started biking and I was like, that feels better. And then I just started running and running as much as I could just in my little neighborhood so I can go to a bathroom if I need to. And it just, I, I, find, it, I find it hard to ant, like know why I got better as fast as I could, but it's honestly just the mental headspace of stop being a victim try to get better and then working out consistently and running every day just it worked somehow this this to me i mean obviously this is a win yeah whether or not this continues long term like this might be a roller coaster yeah it might not be you might have this uh, you know lockdown and it might be the kind of thing that things stop being as effective later on but the fact that you're here right now mm-hmm. is a win and it also speaks to the power of restrictions We've talked about it a few times on here where athletes complain where if I just had nothing in my life, if I could just do this full time, if I could just mm-hmm. go all in on it, then I would, I'd be so much better. It's not fair to try to compete against these athletes who can just dedicate their entire life to this thing. And I think that you represent the best of both worlds strategy, which is finding a way to fit it because you have to. Yeah. You said something to me a while back that, that really made me interested in getting you back on here, which is it was the best thing to happen to you. And yes. everyone says that afterwards because mm-hmm. you feel compelled to say it, but not everyone has an actual, like a set of reasons they can point to for it. Mm-hmm. But you have a job and you have this incredibly restrictive medical issue mm-hmm. that made you refine every single thing in your life to just the bare, like strip down minimum that yeah. works and then build from there. And most people would say that's the worst setup I could have to try to be a pro athlete. In fact, there was someone in the sport who just posted this week about removing themselves from trying to be a pro OCR athlete because it was too restrictive and they had too much going on and they couldn't handle trying to go all in. Mm -hmm. So 
basically pick up from there and walk me through why all this was actually good for you. Yeah. Sorry, that was my phone buzz. I was. I thought it might have been mine. Got Hunter McIntyre <laughs> calling. He's not important enough. Yeah. He's trying to get on the show for a fifth time. Let's now. Um, let's just wait and see if my phone lights up here shortly because I feel like he pairs us together when he calls. Have you talked to him yet this week? I, I have not. No. Okay, I talked to him yesterday. Okay. So this is the back-to-back call is a little rare. That's funny. He probably needs clean urine. <laughs> um, he's probably just asking like what's my training like for go rough games because we'll be at that next weekend (laughs) (laughs) the Riker diesel (laughs) uh yeah to go back to it um i mean i'll go back to when i moved to nashville and it was in pursuit of being like that lifestyle bracket of being all in full-time professional hold on (laughs) hunter's calling you now (laughs) i knew it he must be listed as one of my my favorites because I have I don't know if you can see battery saver on and do not disturb on and he still was vibrant oh, so he dude, must be yeah. on some special list or he has a magic touch on this song. yeah he has to be one of your favorites then that was on cue though was that not on cue that's hilarious I wonder if he <laughs> almost like you guys set between, it up yeah <laughs> or just went right from me to you I think there's enough lag time where there's probably one other call in there so who is linked between you and I. Uh, I don't know. Nick, Dick, did you check your phone? Nah, I don't think he has my number. I assumed we were right on top of each other in his call list. Well, what happened? Anytime he hops in the car, like that guy is really bad at doing nothing. And so if he's in the car, he has any sort of downtime. He's like the best at being a good friend and making connections, which I'm horrible at. But he gets a free minute. He'll call one of his boys. Like that's one thing most people don't know about Hunter is like he'll reach out and keep you in his circle because he's like that guy. So I feel like he's better than you or I, Bracken, at that, hands down. Oh, 100%. I get a free second, and I detach. He gets a free second, and he, he connects. Whatever. Nick, you're saying something? Awesome. Yeah, what I was going to. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, Nick. <laughs> um, no problem. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. It's going to be a funny part. Um, so yeah, I'll go back to when I went, but I moved to Nashville, and I'm living in one of that lifestyle Bracken was talking about, like going all in. If I, I always made that same thing. Hey, if I didn't have my full-time job, blah, 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 I would – be one of the best in the sports. I truly did believe that. So that's why I went to Nashville to get a job a little, little more breathing. Like I could just train more. And so then you go to Jacksonville 2021 in 2020, I get a 10th place, but I was right there in the running for probably a top five. So I missed my spear and then you get to 2021. And then like people at my work, my family, my friends are just like saying, Hey, are you going to win this thing? Like you kind of need to, cause you went all in. It stressed me out so much. And it honestly wasn't him. It was on myself. It was like I I gave up a very comfy lifestyle back home in Southern Illinois and moved to where I have to just grind every day. And I was like, I have to do well. I have to do well. I have to do well or it's all just worthless. And shre- I, I remember not sleeping at night, just thinking about it. I was so stressed out. And honestly, I think that's what started my UC was that amount of stress was just constantly thinking about it. And then when I didn't do well, um, when I got 11th place, I just like, I remember just going back home. was like, ah, no, this was all worthless. Like I'm never going to be a good at, I'm never going to be a good obstacle course racer. I'm never going to get on the podium, a national series. I just was so, you know, I was racing to me was so stressful you know, and that's not healthy to, to butt in interject real quick. I can. Bracken, for some reason, I believe in that race, you decided to start in dead last, so you weren't up next to Nick. Um, mm-hmm. But 
uh, I was next to you there at that <laughs> at that start line, and I don't know if I've seen a pro at most pro athletes in quotes can hide it like their nerves, right? You weren't hiding it that day at no. all. Like it was it was like the energy you could just tell, and and probably because you knew you had some health things going on too, so you had some extra yeah. doubts. And then fast forward a year, you and I raced in Jacksonville this year. And you at the start line were like as cool as a cute. It was like, I know it wasn't a national series race and it was a laid back weekend, but the energy and vibe you're putting off was like, it was like a different aura entered yeah. the arena. And I just witnessed that like in a one year's time, um, how different just like the vibe was coming from you. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. Like I was, I remember Brian Gwiski even telling me after the race, he goes, dude, you just did not look good at the start line. First of all, I physically didn't feel good like internally because yeah. uh, I didn't know what was going on. And then I was just, again, I was, because my, my brother was there and he, I mean, he was, he was charging me no rent at his house. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta prove something to him, which I didn't have to, like he didn't care. Um, so I just put so much pressure on myself that that's not healthy. And then when I got sick and I lost almost 40 pounds and I literally couldn't even go outside to take my dog for a walk i just had to look what was important in my life like what it, i had i had to find a look like what am i if am i going to be okay without training and racing and i had to make the decision i am going to be okay like i had to look around like i had a good job i have a good family i have you know i'm an uncle i have a really good support system and then when i finally just let myself realize like hey like if racing is gone out of your life you're going to be okay and that's what I told myself. And now when I go to races, it's like, this is awesome. I love it. I take it very seriously. But if it's gone tomorrow, I know now I'm going to be okay. So that's what it kind of led me to be healthy. And now, now racing is fun. I probably went back to racing way too soon because I was still way too sick to probably even do Asheville. Um, but I'm glad I did. And I just, I just find, And I just stuck my nose into it. That, that's something that I can speak to is you just kept sticking your nose into it and i i wondered why a little bit because had i gone through i mean and i had i'd gone through a knee issue which not the same but either something that makes you take time off and lose fitness yeah and i went the other way of i don't even want to come back until i feel like it's right mm -hmm. until i'm perfect and you just kept sticking your nose into it but it seems like you've captured that feeling you've switched from oh i have to race to oh i get to race yeah and that so many people their races run before they start yeah they've already self-sabotaged and you even if your fitness still probably isn't where it would be if you had uninterrupted the last two years yeah you're getting all of your fitness out of the race yeah rather than having these self-imposed rev limiters yeah I mean, and we have a saying at work like we don't have to we get to and that's how I look at races now. Like I don't, I don't have to go race. I get to go race, and it's just that that feeling. I, I, it's hard to explain, but that mindset of just like I'm so I'm happy to be here. I'm gonna give it everything I got. But if I fall off an obstacle five times, a savage race is not gonna be the end of the world. Like who cares? Like I I thought so much about what people cared about me, and now I just like I don't care. I'm just here to have fun and see my friends, pretty much. Um, and if anybody is like thinking the way I used to, like it's not, it's not worth it. It's just not. The most privileged way to show up to a start line, I feel like is just to be happy that you are there just to like yeah. actually be able to take a step back. Like Hobie call used to call it his celebration, right? 
Like this is when I show up on race day, it's a celebration of everything I've done. It's, and I don't feel like Hobie call really felt pressure. Maybe I'm wrong, but he didn't seem like a guy that felt pressure. And I think that's, that's the way to do it. I, I think like people like you are the lucky ones. Like the people who have a chance to get that perspective, realize that there's way more to life than racing and, and doing well. And your identity isn't solely like an athlete, because if that's all it is, then obviously you're selling your life very short and you were forced to like dive in and identify yourself as otherwise and get back to your roots as like a human. And then this is just like dessert now. Right. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. And like, Kirk, honestly, what in our last episode and your episode about you getting sick, I thought about a lot in my training. It's just like this tough time that you're going through, you have to make it better for yourself. And that was my mindset this whole time. And I don't, you know, want anybody to have like go through a sickness or injury to think that way. So like if it happens to you, like shit, like what are you going to do about it? You know, are you going to? be all sad like when i was getting my iv my my drug called intibio like there was a guy i sat next with all a lot getting my treatment and he goes yeah man i'm just i can't kick this thing it's been five years six years i've been in the same flare and i asked him like well he lives a sedentary life so i was like well what are you are you getting out are you trying to do anything he goes no i just sit at home and i was like like i don't i know everybody's different but like you can't just feel sorry for yourself you just can't and uh, that's all I can realize that you can't feel sorry and you just got to get out there and just man, not say man, but like just man up a little. Uh, have you read the book Once a Runner? Either of you? I did. <sighs> no, I Years ago. To. It's on my shelf. I've probably heard enough about it to to know everything though. All right. Well, there's this concept in there of your orb and it's like your pain orb. And as as the the main protagonist is racing, he's got his orb and he's built it up in training. And during the race, he just keeps all of the pain isolated in there, mm-hmm. all the bad thoughts, all the pain. And he describes how the, like, the orb starts to pulsate and crack. He's like, I just got to hold it in there a little tighter, hold it a little longer, hold it a little longer. And I always resonated with that. Like, I've just got to isolate all those bad things and just focus through it and grit through it and be tough. And I used to listen to certain music before a race and go into this zone and get super serious. And I'd have to show everyone how serious I was. But the problem with that is you can only go one way. Like once it cracks, it's all out. Yeah. And then you crumble. And then I Hobie Call again was the first example of this. He showed up without a care in the world and he was excited to go out and find out how tough he could be. Yeah. And then racing against Ryan Atkins, racing against Aaron Newell, people like that. And then reading some of these books, I forget if it was Endure or a different book, but it talked about how when you're in lab tests, if they flash subliminal messages at people of frowny faces versus smiley faces, they make it a little longer on the test with smiley faces. And when you're racing against someone and you decide to put a smile on your face, even if it's a fake smile in a lab test, you'll make it X percent longer. And it slowly started to steer me away from you must be so intense and serious to handle Mm -hmm. your orb to keep it together to forget an orb keep smiling it away yeah don't retain it don't clench it down smile it through and don't even let it inside and you kind of have that switch made from an entirely different stance than how a lot of other people look at it but you kind of embody that now like whatever i just failed that obstacle five times who cares i'm going to run myself back into this yeah and it's cool to watch one year 
I've been working on it for a decade. You had a one-year turnaround. Yeah, it's it really is just it's crazy. Just work, just a little hard work every day for a year. Because like I wasn't I wasn't just like this in October when I was back to racing like some Spartan races. I was still really nervous, mostly because I was nervous like because I knew I wasn't still healthy. Like I was still going to the bathroom way too many times a day. I'm not able to eat nearly as much as I need to to feel my body. Like I, I was like I'm still like that. Um, and then it just finally clicked with me when, like going into this season, like is like what what is my goal this year? And my goal this year was just just prove that that I can I can get just I don't know what to even say just prove that I can race again without being obsessive over it like I was in like 2021 and just have fun again um so and it took a and it really did just take every single day trying to get a little bit better to finally get to that mindset you led me into my next uh large curiosity which is and I don't know if you agree with this from the up but from the outside like you appear to be in the best fitness of your life race fitness of your life but I'm gonna make an assumption here and say I doubt that you are training as high a volume as you have before, or even maybe as many intense workouts per week as before. You obviously have to be much more calculated and managed with your training. So what gives, man? How are you in the best fitness of your life, yet you've trained, in quotes, harder before? Uh, And that's a million-dollar question, and I go back to just the mindset of going to a race saying, like, everything is going to be just fine because I it's when you're in that dark space it's saying like it won't be fine unless I win it doesn't matter how fit you are if one thing goes bad it's obstacle course a hundred things are going to go bad so if one thing went bad I was just going to crumble and now it's just that mindset because yeah I'm not honestly like I'm not that fit like I've I've in the lowest volume I've done since almost high school um but it really does speak to a lot of just your mental, like somebody's mental game can, like obviously you have to put in the work, you have to put in the hours of training, but the mental, like this endurance racing is so mental. It's so mental and I'm glad it's, I'm glad I, not glad, but I'm glad I was able to make the most of this shitty situation and actually shit. Your fitness is accessible to you, fully accessible. We used to joke about the practice all-Americans on our team in college. Yeah. Someone would get labeled a practice all-American because they could just rip up workouts and they yes. couldn't perform. And then the rest of us would take pride in being racers. But it really wasn't that we were any better. It was that we had access to most of our fitness come race day. And those people were, their fitness was, was blocked off. It was inaccessible due to nerves or due to mental blocks or due mm-hmm. to a lack of confidence, whatever it is. And you have the ability to access all of it. Mm-hmm. So what is when people say, oh, I'm, I'm about 90% fit right now. Or, you know, I'm like at, I'm at about 95% heading into this race. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all well and cool. But the better number is how much of your fitness that you bring in can you tap into on yeah. course? And from the looks of it, you're out kicking your coverage on race day. And yeah. The only way to do that is to access all of your fitness. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how to explain it that much, but I, that's a great way to say I've, uh, every part, like, I guess, the, you know, I have been running for almost 14 years now, so I'm just, like you guys said, you have that time in the bank, I'm just able to get it all out of me, um, 
because I know I've been like when it gets hurt, when the race starts hurting, it's such a cliche. But when the race starts hurting, like I know I've been through a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Like I know I've been through a lot worse, and nothing really compares to being homebound for like fourteen weeks and not even being able, like do anything. Like I'm curious about that because people will say that. I get to the bad point and I just realize I've been through worse, mm-hmm. but that's not a universal truth. There yeah. are plenty of people who have gone through misery and you still can't tough through misery in a race. Having experienced it doesn't guarantee that you can still look at it and say, all right, I'm going to push through now because I mean, I've done it before. I'm sure everyone in this room has backed away when it got tough, despite having been in tougher spots. So why is it that you've been able to chain together race after race after race of getting to that point and still not letting that, that I've been here before, not letting that dull? Um, that's a good question. And it's still like, even if you are hurting, if you're just not fit enough, you're not like, when I did DecaFit Denver, I was not fit enough to, oh, it, when it started hurting, to keep pushing. Like, there's still always that aspect. You went out a little hot. That didn't help. Eh. Especially at altitude. At, uh, at altitude. Can't fake altitude. <laughs> altitude gave my respect that day. I thought it was a myth. <laughs> but that was, my, that was my mindset all week. I was like, altitude's a myth. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. But then it wasn't, actually. Um, uh, with it, the, what was the question again, Bracket? Just how is... Yeah, we all can say I've been through worse. Not we all, but most people mm-hmm. have gone through bad. But in the moment, sometimes that worse or your why, it pales in comparison to how bad it would hurt and yeah. cost in order to still push that pedal mm-hmm. back down. Why have you been able to do it consistently now? I mean, it just goes back to, like, I love this. Like, I love this sport, so I'm going to give it everything I have. And... And I go back to, it's such cliche saying, but I go back to my dad saying, like, I, I know you can give more than what your mind, you can give, do more than what your mind says. And then it helps with, like, my first race of the year, like, I beat some good people. I beat Kirk, who's really fit, Alvaro, and then when you start, and Chris Brown, and then when you go to Savage and you're running stride for stride with somebody, you're like, why, they're not any better than me. Like, sure, they might have natural talent, but at this moment, at this race, like, we are running stride for stride. They're not any better than me right now. So there's no reason why I can't keep up with them. Um, and that's, it's, it's even taken me a little, like I've had to break through that mindset even this year. Like I've, you look on paper, like most of the people I run against, I'll use Sean and Alvaro as a good example. They are way faster than me, way faster than me. But in that moment of racing, when you're stride for stride and thank God obstacles are a thing, like, there's no, they're not getting away from me, so I can't back off. Like, they're not putting in a surge, or like, they're having to work just as hard as me. So it's either like, who's gonna break? And I think you've said it before in the bracket in the past, it's like, um, you just gotta outlast people. And that's kind of like my mind in the race. Like, if I'm right there side by side, I just gotta outlast them a little bit more. Cause they're thinking, everybody's thinking the same thing. Like, I don't, like, I gotta get away from this person, but somebody's gotta break eventually. I think like, I think this conversation is really good in theory, like as like a generality, but I think what people would want to know would be like, like in that moment when you're stride Uh for stride next to a Ryan Woods for the first time or an Alvaro who we know is speedy and it hurts and it sucks, like choosing not to crack. I think that is really the definitive moment. Like in this whole conversation, it's choosing to sit in the pain cave versus like lay off the pedal. Like what is the narrative in your head now 
versus before if there's any difference like can you can you note a difference there really is now it's just like it really is it's like like i say to myself i love this i'm not scared to go with these these people and blow up now because i'm not afraid of being embarrassed in that way like probably in the past i would have been a little too scared to run with like a Ryan Woods because I knew I was going to probably blow up and then what a troll says on Instagram or something like I was probably scared of that and now it's just like I don't if it happens it happens and I'm going to be just fine mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing like I'm not like the only it's the only thing that matters is like my what I feel like at the end of the race so that's that's kind of the big difference it's like at before I was just so embarrassed if I blew up and what people would think of me, even though nobody cares. Like my dad says all the time, there's like a billion people in China who don't care about your racing, Nick. Um, and, but then now I have that mindset, it's like, it's really like, no, we're just obstacle course racing. Like we had to pay a bunch of money to be here. So like, it's okay if you blow up or you don't do as well. Yeah. I like that. During my post-surgery, I listened to this one song before each workout. And in it, it says, I'm not afraid. It keeps repeating. I'm not afraid of the fall. I've hit yeah. the ground before. Like we, a lot of times it's the unknown of what if I blow up and, and I fall and I hit the ground and it's going to be so embarrassing online. Yeah. But once you've hit the ground hard enough and you realize that after a day or two, first of all, day one, half the people cared that you thought would. And by day two, no one remembers anymore. Hitting the ground is not scary anymore. Yeah. Because it's a self-imposed ground. It's not an injury ground. It's just a, it's an ego ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Know what I keep thinking of in this conversation, and Bracken, I hope you don't mind that I share this about you. Um, and this is a conversation you and I had off mic, and it was after. Ooh. I think it was at. I'm afraid of the fall. Well, no, what's <laughs> gonna come out here? <laughs> no, but it's our off mic conversations can go either way. Well, no, this isn't one of your perverted sexual fourteen year old boy conversations. <laughs> Oh, come on. Four, not perverted about 14-year-old no, no, no. boys. I want to be clear Immature, about that. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, come right, on. You understand. Everybody knows that knows Bracken knows that he veers that way with a sense of humor when he's with his boys. Again, to clarify, not boys. The maturity of a boy. <laughs> his, his peers, his friends. Peers. Correct. Okay. Everybody understands. But it was after me and you talked in September after I went through my bout of stuff. <clears throat> and you interviewed me about my experience. And we had a nice conversation. The first time I talked it all out was with you like at length and I didn't have to, but I felt like it was therapeutic. Just like Nick, you thought it was therapeutic to talk about everything you were going, going through. Yeah. And then Bracken, you and I sat and chatted for almost an hour after we recorded that. And I don't know if you remember that. Um, mm-hmm. and you had said, you're like, I, I wanted to say it on air, but I just don't feel like it would be like respectful. And you said, not that I would want to be in your shoes or that I'd be in somebody's shoes, that has gone through a traumatic thing, but I don't have anything like that in my life. You said like that edge that people reach to when they're truly broken. I think you referred to your ultra in Tahoe where you dropped out. You were like, if I like, I'm not envious, but I'm envious of people like you. You have chips on your shoulder that you can't create in your own narrative. It's the shit you have to go through that then you can reach for later and you didn't want to say it on air, and I don't know why, because it's very relatable and understandable, but it was that sentiment. And I just keep thinking about that right now in this conversation. Like, what are your thoughts on that? And just translating to, like, look at look at Nick. Like, Nick's doing everything right other than his training. Like, he's taking care of himself. <laughs> like, and, and I'm the same exact way. I was running four days a week after I started working on lifestyle habits, 
and my fitness started popping. Like it was all the <laughs> ancillary shit other than the, the sport itself. So I don't know. What do you, what are your thoughts? Just like listening to all that? Like, how do you feel about all that? I'm asking Bracken this first. Well, I mean, first of all, I didn't want to say it on air because it was entirely selfish. Here you are airing your dirtiest laundry that you've had and just opening yourself up for public response, which was going to be a mixed bag to start yeah. with. And so for me, as both your friend and your business partner, to be like, yeah, and you know what that makes me think <laughs> is I'm jealous. <laughs> you know, I wish I had some of that in my life. To, you know, That's a terrible response. But that concept that you ran more days in the seven days post-detox than I did healthy – it's like, yeah, that's exactly it. You have some chips on your shoulder, some mm -hmm. motivation that I can't possibly fabricate. And it's such a privileged, like, douchey statement to make. Oh, I wish I just had more real hardship in my life. I've got a great life. Yeah. And I shouldn't feel guilty for that. And I shouldn't want your hardship. But there's something you can't fabricate about true lived hardship. And we heard it with Justin Hamilton. Yeah. He's not afraid to go into an ultra and die. Yeah. Because he's taken himself to that point in addiction, and we talked about it, and yeah, there's power to that, and and like you talked with the guy in that that waiting room or with your IVs in next to each other, he won't understand the power to the mm -hmm. that two sided gift he's been given because mm -hmm. he hasn't explored what can come with it, yeah. and yet you have, and you found out that there's not just a silver lining, there's an actual power that's with that, if big if you can get through that initial really bad hardship yeah and if you're willing to put yourself out there like again like i was worried to even go do a race because like before Asheville, just two weeks ago running i shit my pants like in the middle of in the middle of nashville like, that's embarrassing but like like you said if you're not willing to go out and do it you're never going to find out about yourself um yep and it's very scary, but at the end, it's, I mean, Kirk, you could test to it. It's, you got, it's, could be a beautiful thing. I think let's just like a little more perspective, my, you know, old tenured age, like I take the 10,000 foot view. I'm like, this is exactly what the hell is going on here. Like this guy has yeah. reprioritized life in a way in which he has so many other priorities that this can now be fun and he's got perspective yeah. and and this is a privilege and like i think you actually like the, the narrative that you talked about brack and like not being able to create like without truly going mm -hmm. through a hardship like whatever whatever that hardship is like i think that like you actually need to go to those really dark like i don't know yeah. if i will ever be what i want to be again like you have to go mm -hmm. there and truly believe like that that's a real situation before you can actually have like that unencumbered appreciation afterwards if that makes sense. Like, I don't think you can cr just create it with a mind. Yeah. 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 It's that feeling of taking a weight vest off or taking off your clunky trainers and putting on your race shoes. Like, the rest of us fabricate that. We train in a weight vest sometimes. Uh -huh. or we, I warm up in my hokas so I can take them off and put on my race shoes. Well, Nick has that feeling. He spent a year in a weight vest, and he gets to the start line just feeling lighter and more free than anyone else, and they haven't put that vest on, so they can't possibly know the relief of taking it off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to talk about your progression, Nick. Like, let's actually talk yeah. the details yeah. of, like, when did we talk? You said it was a year ago? Just about, yeah. A year ago? So what's the progression been, like, as far as coming back? Like, how did you decide to manage volume, intensity, effort, make your decisions – 
like where'd you start where are you at all that stuff i want to know that so we'll go back to our podcast last year where i weighed 148 pounds and what do you weigh today talking to us um 172 173 and like in jacksonville i weighed 178 so i lost 30 pounds and i still can't even get those six pounds back because of my lifestyle i have to live now like with my diet uh yeah but the progression it was pretty much like i just wanted to because working out is so much your mental health to me at least it is like so much my mental health is working out so i was like i need if i want to get past this i need to do something so i literally just would go to on my breaks at work just do pull-ups push-ups dips and then that slowly progressed to doing our group classes or hour-long strength classes and I did that for all of May. I just did that. I didn't run. I, I biked a little. So you were literally just jumping up on the pull-up bar when you walked by it, banging out whatever reps you could and then moving on. It yeah. wasn't even like a structured hour-long gym session. And then you went no. into general fitness or strength classes, just dipping your yep. toes back in the water. Yep. And I was starting to you know, gain a little bit of weight back. I remember I, gained, I went up to like 155 again. I was like, okay. I've put on five pounds in two weeks. That's that's awesome. And was the recommendation, I'm going to keep interrupting you because I'm very curious uh-huh. about this. Was the recommendation for you to stay away from cardio and try to like do strength training so you could build some body back up? Or what were the doctor's recommendations? Doctor didn't know. Like, he just, he's kept trying to tell me, just try to live a normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, makes sense. Like, but he, I, he didn't even know how, like, what, like sports for pretty much i kept trying to talk to him he was like just live a normal life as best as you can I was like, okay but that's good advice for if you're going to give a blanket statement advice very good advice he said try to live a normal life i said okay I'll, i will i'll try to do that i'm not i'm not going to go down to broadway in nashville but i'll try to live a normal life sounds like that guy in the iv drip could have used that as his doctor, doctor. yeah right doctor, yeah. um and then um and then i started riding bikes i i do some bike um group rides and I started doing those again. How many times per week were you able to start with? Uh, I was doing like two. And I remember the first time I went outside and did it with my group, I never felt somebody just hurt so much in my chest because I was so out of shape. Because <laughs> I was trying to keep up with the top bike, the top people in our group, like going up the big climbs. And I remember getting done with that ride. I, it was like right at an hour. We did a little over 20 miles. And like I had a, some pretty good climbs in there. And I was like, okay, I think I'm going to be... I think I'm going to be okay. Like, I don't know when I'm going to run again, but I think I'm going to get back into working out pretty well. When was that? Uh, middle of May-ish. Okay. And and you weren't running because you were afraid of going, because it was so, like, going to the bathroom it was and running. So, it's so much hand. pounding on your gut, yeah. So biking was the safest bet to enter cardio? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was like running was just like, even before this all, like, you never know. You might just have, your stomach might just not be good. And then definitely not now so then and then matt b davis calls and said you want to come are you healthy enough to come film for hilderbat and i said i think i could stand at an obstacle and just hold my camera there and not worry about using the bathroom for a couple hours and i just out of nowhere just started rabbiting them going up and down the sand like filming i was running with them and i did like a 30 by 400 meter workout pretty much um, like rabbiting them and then I was just like holy crap I am gonna be and I think I'm, and I, I was fine like my chest hurt like everything hurt I ran out of gas like I got so tired so fast but then I told myself I, I think I'm gonna be able to race this year at the end of the year 
I don't know when, but I think by the end of the year I can get in good enough fitness. And then after Hildevat, I gained like 15 pounds in a week. Like I got all the way back up to 170. Don't know how, don't know why. Um, I was on my IV treatment at the time too, so that helped a little bit. And once that happened- So you were so depleted. It wasn't just muscle you had lost. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was everything. I, I, I wish I did not take one picture. I wish I would have took a picture of like when I was at my lowest weight because it looked horrible. Like I, look, I just looked, I looked skinnier than I did running college cross country. I remember. Um, so yeah, I was depleted of everything, and then I just my the park across from my house is a half mile loop, and if you guys see me on Strava, I run that all the time, and I just started running it, running it, and running it, and just slowly started getting better. And I was doing workouts at the gym. I got the majority of my weight back and I said, screw it, I'm gonna sign up for DecaFit at the end of June. Sign up for DecaFit, won it. Um, and ever since then, I just try to incorporate running and biking as much as I can. I, the reason why I don't do as much volume now is because I just don't eat that much anymore. I eat a meal and a half, two meals a day. Um, cause now it's not really what I eat that causes like a flare. It's how much, like if I overeat really? at all, if I overeat or if I even eat the normal amount, like I used to, I just, I feel horrible. I can't do anything. I get so bloated. I'm going to the bathroom so many times. Um, so like my races that people see me race, like I am fasted almost for 12 or 14 hours beforehand mm-hmm. because I just don't want to feel bad at all. I remember in Jacksonville. Uh, you race the super completely fast, and yeah. so you won't eat before morning races now at all, I believe. No. And then afterwards, you had a pack of uh, a fruit snacks. That was your yeah, treat. had a pack of fruit snacks. Yeah. Uh-huh. That was my thing. And you hadn't eaten in like sixteen hours, or at that point, or something ridiculous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe now I could get away with something, but I just don't. I have PTSD. I don't want to risk it. So Hildervat was the first time you ran, and it was as a yep. rabbit. And when mm-hmm. was Hildervat? Remind me, December, not December. Um, Last weekend of May. Oh, yeah. Sorry, May, May, May. Um, yeah. So the first time you ran, you took like a month or two off of running completely. Then you started biking. Then you started just wind sprinting as a rabbit in May. And then when was DECA? Last weekend of June. So so you were just starting. Yeah. I just, like, I think I did two quality workouts before DECA and I'm counting Hildervat as one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And what were, and then one last and then Bracken, you can go, and what were your diet? Like, I know you're working with the, uh, IV, I believe that's an IV steroid that you were taking. Yeah. There was a drug called Nativio. Nativio, um, which I'm assuming you can't be on long-term. So you probably have to go in waves with that. And then, yeah, I, I went off of it. It's just, I thought I'm healthy enough and it's so expensive. And honestly, it has really bad side effects. It's it's also auto. I mean, it suppresses your immune system in order to like control the inflammation in my bowel. So like any little thing, I would almost get a little sick too after taking it. Okay. Like I remember one day I was running and the air quality in Nashville was bad, and I had a cough for like two weeks after. So I was like, I I weighed. I was like, I'm healthy enough. The doctor said I think you need to go on it. I was like, I'm healthy enough. It's really expensive and. I just don't like the side effects of it. Okay, so you were, you were doing that, and then, which sounds like it was an important part, like just getting that inflammation. It down. was, yeah. And then what were you doing with your nutrition-wise? Like, I, 
I'm just very curious about food and the gut and, and I work with that on myself constantly. It's always yeah. a, an experiment. So like, what were you doing and what have you settled on works best for you? You hinted at it about eating less, but like what, what have you had to transition there? It's mostly now, like I used to eat out fast food all the time. It's mostly now I make everything. Um, it's better for me. And it's really honestly, Kirk, it's not what I eat. It is the amount I eat. And that's simple. I don't really, yeah, I don't really track macros or anything or calories intake or anything like that. I just, I look, I remember what I used to eat. If I ate a double cheeseburger, I'm going to have a single cheeseburger and maybe half of that and then save the half later. And if I'm going to like go out for the night and I don't want my stomach to hurt, I'll skip breakfast and lunch and just have dinner and then drinks and then I'm good to go. So it's making sure I don't eat or overindulge myself. And it's not even overindulging because that would be the normal amount for a person training for these races, but I can't do it. I want to get into some specific examples just so I can wrap my head around it and the audience can can see it. So prior to all of this, Mm -hmm. what was your typical weekly volume of training? I would get in about 50 miles a week of running couple cross training like our bike couple lifting sessions um so it's it's still pretty low it was but it would probably be coming out to like 10 miles of tra- i mean 10 10 miles 10 hours of training and what are you at now five and how does that look um it's about 30 miles of running a week and one quality maybe two maybe like then cross training with the assault bike rower or my or on swift and then just lifting a little bit because I know I can't do much more because I can't fuel my body with it. So you're at 50 to 60% of your overall volume. Yes. That's, not, <laughs> That's pretty good. huh? I hope people are starting to see that you don't have to have your ducks all in a row. Yeah. That, that ideal, if I just had everything perfect, I could PR. Yeah. Breaking free from that mindset's big. All right. Now, pre you see uh, daily, an average day. Give me, give me your most typical day of meals, what they were, how often and what they, and how much. Gosh, I remember when I was living at home and I was just working my office job, I had something to eat like every three hours. So it was, I would get my run done by like six thirty, protein shake with some kind of breakfast, like bagels, even breakfast pizza. Um, so I ate a lot and then I would probably eat like a sandwich for in the middle, like right before lunch, eat something like that. Uh, and then lunchtime would be another full meal, um, like an actual full meal. Um, couldn't tell you like what it was. And then right before I left for work, I would have something else, like a snack, some, some kind of protein, some kind of carbs in there as well. And then after my evening session, I would have a huge dinner that ever I made. Um, And now it is, if I am doing something at night, like if I'm going out to hang out with friends, I'll eat breakfast, skip lunch, skip like won't eat at all at work, and then I'll have my dinner with friends. Um, If I have like a long, if it's on a weekend, I, I get to like sleep in a little bit, do my training session. I'll do my training session and then I won't eat breakfast at, I won't, like I won't do my training session till like 10. So I don't eat anything in before that. And then I won't eat again till after I get done training. And then I'll just have my dinner that night. So it's cut back a lot. In half. So you're at 50 to 60% of volume, but more mm-hmm. like 
35 to 50% of calories. Yes. So you're doing everything, everything people talk about optimizing. Yeah. Optimizing my training hours, optimizing my training intensity, maxing those out, getting getting some fueling in before I run, hitting my 30-minute window afterwards, taking in at least as many calories as I'm expending. All of those things, the things you need to do to make yourself feel good, you're not doing any of them. Yeah, because if I do do that, I'm going to feel horrible. And what does feeling horrible mean? Um, scared to go anywhere because I think I'm, my digest is just... Because I don't know when I'm going to digest the food. It's not normal. Like It might just happen. Boom, you got to go to the bathroom. Like my stomach pain when I do eat so much, it's I'm like I can't move. Like it's I got to go home and just sit there and just go to bed and hope it's better in the morning. Like knife type pain or like queasy type pain or like I got to go to the bathroom type pain. Um, probably knife type pain. Like it's like if sometimes I thought I was having like appendicitis. Like that's how bad the pain gets, and it's not that. It's just like you're your body is trying to digest it and it's doing everything it can and it's just having and it's just hurting um so it can get like that bad and then it's nothing like nothing i can do about it besides like i just try to go to bed and i'm usually better in the morning but it's a horrible feeling okay so there's there's no more eating till you're full these days no you have to you have to be uh, very cognizant of how much you're eating and just stop yourself, which is a very unsatisfying yeah. feeling. Yeah, because like I, I, at the moment I can eat, like at the moment I know I can eat the food, but I know like in an hour I'm gonna feel I'm gonna it's gonna be very painful. Um, so it, it took a lot. It takes a lot of self discipline just to not finish meals sometimes, because at the moment you feel great, but you know what's gonna happen. So those individual workouts then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If if I'm I'm trying to put myself into this, if I yeah. have to reduce my volume down mm-hmm. by fifty percent, and I've got to eat less generally, and I can't lift as much, the thing I go to is I better swing big when I swing. Mm-hmm. But are you able to do big, long, intense workouts, or has the duration of workouts been the thing that has to be reduced in parallel with frequency? The duration, the the latter, the duration of the workouts have to be reduced as well. So I'll just tell you through my schedule, like I get up at. 4:30, and I don't even get out on the road to go run till like 6 or 6:15 because I'm literally trying to clear my body out as much as I can so I don't have to stop in my runs every day. Every day. How do you do that? Clear, like purposely clear your body out. I just know the, not I'm not trying to purposely. I just know like it. I it takes about an hour, hour and a half for my three or four bathroom stops every morning or five before I go out the door for a run. That's what it'll be, huh? Every morning, it's going to be three to five, no matter what, no matter how good yeah. or bad you're feeling. That's still the right. The norm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and even then, like on my runs, like I know most likely I might have to stop in my run too. So you start your day in a bad, something that would set you up to have a bad mood, a bad mentality. Every morning, it's that. If I can still say like the roughest part of my UC, it's every morning. Every morning. Okay. Um, sometimes I'll. I'm like, okay, I'm going to wait till my break. Like right now, sometimes I'll go, but I won't eat anything all day. And then I'll go on my lunch. I'll go on my run on break. And then that's, I'm usually good. Um, But that's just tough because that's when I like to do like my strength training or cross training, my extra workout for Mm -hmm. during my break time. Um, So yeah, try to get it all out of the morning before I go on my run. Because I'm like, okay, I'm only going to be able to run for 40 minutes because I got to be at work by 745. 
I need to make sure those 40 minutes count and I'm not wasting 10 of them at a porta potty. So what is the average duration of an easy run for you right now? Uh, five to six miles. Okay. What is your, what do your intensity sessions look like? Yeah. Um, they are usually, so intensity, I'm, I, if I do say I can go a little longer, it is intensity workouts. I don't know what it is. It, I'm, really? Yeah. I'm better. My stomach doesn't flare up as much during like hard intervals or tempos. The body knows it's time to do business. It goes into fight or flight. Yeah. You know? It knows. Yeah, yeah, gets a little bit of adrenaline. Um, I mean, I'm not saying probably like it still happens, but not nearly as much as just like an easy run. But like it's so those can be a little bit longer. So those can be anywhere from four to five miles of intensity. Of I do a lot of fartlek stuff. So today was like five, four times four minutes hard, easy jog in between, ninety second jog in between, and then. Um, but at the same time, you're running out of time to do the workouts because I have to wait an hour and a half before I even go out the door. And then I know I got to get to work. Um, so you're getting hosed on both ends, both on you can't stay out there too long and the time it takes to get ready for it comes yeah. into your time. And like sleep is very important for you see to recover. But like, what, am I going to go to bed at 8 p.m. every night? I have, but it sucks. Like, because I still want to have it. That's the same thing. Like, I need to have a social life because... So I know racing isn't everything. Don't you have a spider crawling behind your head on the... Uh... Do I? Look behind you. What's going across the uh, drapes behind you there? Are you seeing that, Bracken? I am now. Oh, yeah. Okay. I got a little distracted. That's a big boy. Okay. This place is disgusting. <laughs> okay, so the, we've got that reined in. What about long runs, long workouts? Does that just not exist? Um, I have ran an hour or over an hour three times in the past year and one of them was at high rocks one of them was this past weekend and then one of them was a trail run back home in illinois so that's okay that's my long efforts so they don't happen so again if we were doing a consult right now and i was hearing your training without the uc part Mm -hmm. i'd look at you and be like all right so you're doing like you're maybe two thirds, three quarters of the way there. We have a lot of room for things we can improve yeah. so that you can actually start seeing improvement. Yeah. But you're seeing improvement, which again, mm-hmm. just speaks to the, your ground is fertile. Other mm-hmm. people are planting a ton of seeds, but their ground's not super fertile. Mm-hmm. You, whatever's going on in your head, your body is very receptive of your training right now. Mm-hmm. And it's starting to defy logic. The more I hear, the less I understand of how can you look perform and feel good because we all know what it feels like to be under fueled yeah obviously you're starting to adapt to being under fueled yeah and and racing um dry basically mm-hmm. but are you now limited can you are you even going to sign up for a, a race that's longer than 70 minutes i've been flirting with the idea to do the spartan north america championships and even ocr world championships 15k but it's like i'm looking back like how am i how am i going to train right now to Because it's still, like, I still, if you don't put in the work, the long run to do a 13-mile race, like, you're not going to be able to do a 13-mile race competitively against the top people in the sport. I don't, I haven't tried, maybe still, but, um, yeah, I don't even think about anything over an hour, really, for a race. Okay. So, is running after, um, after eating just not even an option right now? Like, you don't even play with that? Like that's playing with fire for you. You, it's not even an option. Yeah, I think I've done one evening run after work in the past year, and that was just like the other week. 
um, yeah, it's not an option. And how'd it go? Um, it went all right. Uh, it was only three miles around my neighborhood, but I still closed. And by the end of the run, it was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta go home. My one, my one other question with the fueling, cause it's like, you know, it's funny cause you're saying he's starting to defy logic bracket. And for me, I'm like, this makes sense to me. Like I can understand just kind of like, I don't know, working on, like I said, I'll, I'll beat this horse to death for the end of time, working on everything else, but your training can move your fitness mm-hmm. further than, than I think the training itself. Mm-hmm. So like, I've kind of experienced that a little bit, but, uh, how do you handle stimulants now as far as like pre-workout coffee? That's a, I think everybody has some sort of regimen there. What have you had to do with that? Um, so I, I mean, I've never taken pre-workout. Um, I drink coffee, but not before I run. So nothing it's honestly, it's before I run in the morning, it is just water and just trying to clear myself up. But yeah, it's not nothing to get me fired up for anything. Okay. You had mentioned in a message to me month or two ago that you were thinking about doing the Tennessee mile this year. Yeah. What, what does that even it's still, mean? At it's this still point? like, I still believe like, cause like I see my training and like how much I have to go to the bathroom in the training. And then I go to races and I don't have to, cause it's the adrenaline taking over. And then sometimes okay. there's still a small part of me. And I was like, okay, like, you know, Brack, and like, you can be in a, you said this to me, you could be in a coma, not know anything about your life, but if it's race morning, you know what race morning feels like. And then you know what right. you feel like during a race. So like, I feel like, and I haven't had any issues during when I'm racing. So I'm like, maybe I can fur around like that race is in my backyard. I can maybe do the six hour and just bathroom break every lap, right? It's a safe bet. Even, even do that. Or it's just, or my adrenaline just takes over so much that that's not an issue. Would you be able to take in fuel during, or would you have to do six hours dry? I haven't. Yeah. I might have to do it dry. I haven't tried it or anything. Oh, wow. I would like to. You have the inverse stomach. You have race day stomach every morning except for intensity days. Right. Or you still have it in the morning, just yeah. not during. Yeah, not just not during. So with your training then, I want to pick up where Bracken left off. Um, how do you decide like what takes priority? Because you've had to cut back. So if we're gonna, you're going to have mm-hmm. to be super cerebral about when you swing the hammer, like what you're swinging it at, what the intent of that workout is. Like, how do you decide, what have you found your body has responded best to, um, like all of those things? Because, uh, these efforts mat, even though you're doing less volume, these efforts, I would argue matter more than they ever did. So how are you doing that? What I, when I, cause I had that, I found out like when I'm racing, my stomach's good cause the adrenaline, and that's why I've raced so much this year. Cause I'm also using them as workouts. Um, <laughs> so I, I've already raced, I think 10 times this year. And it's because I'm like, like these are, I know my stomach, it's going to hold up during the whole duration. And that's going to be a great workout for me to get in shape. So that's why I just raced a ton this year. That's honestly uh, a bit, been a big part of my training is getting to more races and doing it that way. But what about deciding though? Like, is there any more thought process? Are you still doing like what you used to do on those big days? I, I still just do what I used to on those big days. Um, yeah. Okay. I didn't know if that had changed for you. Like for me, what changed is I'm doing what I used to do, but when I swing mm-hmm. now, I'm doing more of what I used to do on the big days. And then whatever else I get in is fine. I'm just adding volume to the days that matter and not caring as much about the days that don't, for example. But yeah, I'm still not adding, I'm still not adding any more volume probably than before on my big day, like okay. a hard days. It's just like, I was like, Hey, 
I know my stomach does pretty good at races. Let's try to go race for an hour and see if that works. And it has. It has so far. All right. These are the things you can't prepare for. No. Like being shoulder to shoulder with Nick with a mile to go now is not like a... It may not even be a fair fight. When you get to the point where it's down to fitness gets stripped away, especially in OCR and on the trails mm-hmm. and in the mountains, at some point everyone's just tired. And you kind yeah. of get reduced to the same general range of running. Early on, if you look at 5K PRs, it might range anywhere from 440 pace to 515 pace yeah. in the pro field. But once once everyone's tired, mm-hmm. once you get partway through, everyone's running about the same pace. Yeah. And so, like you said earlier outlasting people is the way you outrun them at the end yeah it's not necessarily a fair fight coming up against you with a mile you know 2k to go anymore because you're just there differently than other people are yeah um that's thank you for that it's a good compliment but yeah it it really it, it really does i don't wish i had this happen to me but i no. told you guys like you got to make it the best thing that's ever happened to you and i have like mentally i have yeah I don't want to shift this away from you, but I do believe that the people like myself mm-hmm. who haven't had life hand them that level of lemons really are still listening to this going like, this is inspiring. This is incredible, but it's not relatable. Yeah. So let's say you didn't have, you could, you could press reset. Some people say I wouldn't press reset. I'm, I'm who I am because of this. But if you could take your knowledge of this back press reset, not have to go through this mm-hmm. again, how would you implement everything you've learned now into a a privileged lifestyle that doesn't have that that big brick wall they've run into? How, how can the average person use what you've gone through now? I think you just have to look... It's a great question because I, that's scary to think because I know who I was beforehand and I don't know if that Nick Riker would have had appreciation for anything, but you have to look back and just like, gosh, I have so many great things in my life that's not racing. So, so even like the average person, the average person just needs to, like they look back and it's like, if racing was stripped for me tomorrow, like they'd have it gone through, if racing was stripped for me tomorrow, would I be fine living my life without it? And if you could say yes to that, I think then you're, you're there. If you say no to that, then you have a lot of things to work on. And that's spending time with your family, your friends, you know, career-wise, whatever you want to do in your life. Um, that's where you have to spend more time on. Like you said, Kirk, like that's what, when you have all your ducks in a row outside of training and racing, that's when things kind of get easier there. I'm going to get whiplash from shaking mm-hmm. my head so much in affirmation like (laughs) yeah it's the truth man i just i agree with that sentiment so much and bracken we've had this conversation again off mic that you know if racing was taken away from you today you have chosen to fill your cup with other things that your identity isn't tied up only in that anymore and you are like worthy as a man and a human that i'll just switch what i put my emphasis on and still be just as whole and i feel the same way and Mm -hmm. that that's powerful isn't it Mm-hmm. It is, but it took a knee. It took two knee surgeries for me, spaced out. You know, part of me's happy that it took six months in between knee surgeries, so that I really had to think about it twice. Yeah, rather than just like come in fired up, ride the wave, get out. So I had to. I had to lose a year. Yeah. Kirk, you've had 
health problems since college. Mm-hmm. Nick, you've gone through. We've all lost a season or more. So, it, I mean, the the me in Colorado who is fired up, piss and vinegar. If you took racing away, I don't know what I would identify as. Right. I don't think I could give myself the right advice. So, in you said you got to ask yourself the question: If racing left tomorrow, mm-hmm. would I be okay? A lot of people can answer yes. Then they just listen to your advice. They make sure their life's good, that that family they're spending time with. But the people who can't even fathom that, do is there an intensive intervention needed? Like, do you have? Do you? Would you recommend a self-imposed exile from racing in order to get? In order, is that the only way to fabricate this feeling of losing it? Is to make yourself not do it for a bit? I wouldn't say that because, like, obviously, people that are still saying no, they love racing, so like that's probably part of their mental health. But how much I've like I've seen since our conversation, I saw a therapist a couple times just to keep talking about what matters in my life, and okay. that's something I still think somebody should go do. Like, go talk to somebody about it. Um, don't like if you love racing, just don't stop racing, but keep finding out like keep like reaching out to people till you find that answer like till it switches from no to yes because 2021 early 2021 nick Rico could not have said yes to like if racing was taken away like would i have been okay the harsh reality is that that identity is going to go away for everybody listening at yeah. some point in time like that is not a forever thing these bodies don't last forever especially performing high and so if that is your standard um, trying to start laying pavement for other parts of your life is super important. And I think, I think it's more like if you're going to try to facilitate like the same, you know, mindset that we've been able to have, it is like maybe step back and, and start fueling other parts of your life and prior prioritizing other parts of your life and then get back yeah. to racing. Once you feel like you've maybe allowed other areas to grow a little bit where you can feel solid in other areas. I think that, would go a long ways with people who are maybe sacrificing a lot to do the training and racing thing. Yeah. I agree with that too. Yeah. Yeah. There's a huge occurrence of substance abuse, depression, a a progression of gambling when high level athletes leave the sport for good. And there's some power to experiencing that early and getting Mm -hmm. over that so that your eventual exit is smoother. Yeah. And then you don't, you, you can choose not to exit. I look at the people who hang on and just not even hang on, but just compete into their 60s and 70s and accept their new role and embrace it. Something's happened early on that they don't dread the fall. So finding some way to fabricate a version, like a a, a, a viable version of the Nick Riker experience, I think is important for everyone to come up with. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I have an example of that. This weekend at this last race I ran, this this gentleman, Kurt Kaiser, he's 47, and he's slowly on his way out, but he's showing up every year, and he has all the master's records. And But he uh, he opened a, a shoe store in Rochester, Minnesota, and he coaches athletes now himself. And he came up to me after the race and said, how old are you? And I said, 38, about to be 39. And he said, man, I would want nothing more than for you to show up when you're 40 and crush my master's records because you're capable. And I would love to see it. And I don't care if my name's off that thing forever. Like, I just want to see some good, you know, good people doing good things. And he had this like exuberance. In fact, I want to get him on the podcast because he's such a high performer. It's a 219 marathoner and he's still running like crazy fast. But anyways, his perspective was he built a life outside of there. And he genuinely to a stranger put his hand on my shoulder and was like, I want you to go out there and beat what I have done. Because like, 
I don't, I don't need that as my identity anymore. And it was like so infused in that conversation. It was just another example of a guy who's like doing it right, but yeah, mm-hmm. has so much more that it doesn't matter if his silly record goes down. In fact, he'd like to see it. So I just think like those people tend to tend to do well for a long time. I, I, I just never understood that mentality. It's the kind of thing you can't like. You can't comprehend taking racing away. You can't comprehend being happy for someone beating you. I used to look at those people who took joy in non-joyful things, things that I considered that's not a joyful activity. Losing is not joyful. Yeah, getting dropped in a race is not joyful. Running hard despite having missed out on the podium, coming all the way through and sprinting hard—that's not joyful. Why? I don't get why you're taking joy in that. And you can't get to that place until you arrive there. Yeah. But the people who do arrive there are just happier people in mm-hmm. general. Yeah. You're like, you can't race forever. So. And if you can. Find race. a job. You can, but like, you can't race at, like you said, you can't race at the level you want to forever. Like a high level. I rarely speak directly to people on this podcast, but I feel like there's someone that needs to hear this. And so I'm not, I'm going to be a bit vague, but James, I feel like you are in need of a bit of a Nick Riker in your life right now. A bit of that that mentality. I don't think the sport's done with you, and I don't think you should be done with it. Yeah. I think that you took a lump or two, maybe had the wrong expectation, or at least the wrong timeline for expectation. And I've been where you are specifically at, where you feel like you had to devote everything at the mm-hmm. expense of everything else yeah. to what you're doing. But I think this is perfect timing. I think that digging into Nick's story right here might just be your ticket to finding that balance for being able to do both. So if you're listening, please heed this episode. Yeah, Understand that now we're kind of all to this place. We'd rather see you succeed than walk away. Where I know me a few years ago, I'd be pumped for every person that left the sport because that's that's easier pickings. That's not where we're at. We want we want you to do this again. Yeah, my heart felt heavy when I yeah. read his post. I wanted to comment on Same. it and reach out. It was it was one of those mm-hmm. things where like the people who really have it figured out aren't all in on this at all. And that sounds crazy to say, but I believe the people who have this figured out, the ones who aren't the Ryan Atkins, the ones who aren't the Lindsay Websters, the ones who aren't relying on their full time living. The ones who have it figured out mm-hmm. aren't living this full time. True. And you don't need to in order to be good. Yeah. And even those two, even though they're full time, not workers. You see them do so many other things. Mm-hmm. They're, they're spending all their day training towards this, it appears. But they would be spending their whole day doing similar activities if OCR or running one away tomorrow. It's... Even though they're the farthest thing from the average example, I think they're also the farthest thing from the average tunnel vision pro. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying, Kirk. Yeah. I think it's a, speaking to James directly, it's a reset your timeline, reset your expectations, somehow dissolve pressure and go out there and grow, maybe grow Mm -hmm. your career, which maybe he's wanting to do, right? He's not giving to his, I have no idea. James, maybe we have to have you on the podcast and chat this out. In fact, it'd be a good conversation to have. Um, but it's just like, yeah, get rid of expectations, strip it down, and then and then start over with a new approach. Yeah. There's this mental arc in this sport specifically. It doesn't happen on the trails or the roads or the track as much because there isn't low-hanging money there. But in this sport, because there's a little bit of coverage, there's a little bit of money, it happens often, and there's not a huge populace in the sport, everyone's motivational arc starts like i get into this it's oh there's a new realm there's money to be had here and sponsorships and a little bit of notoriety there might be a blue check waiting for me 
a blue check mark. This this could be really cool, and you chase after all the trappings of it rather than chasing after the love of just trashing yourself on the course to find out something about you. That Hobie call, the race is the celebration of all the work I've put in. I had that career arc. Nick, I know you started with that. You saw yeah. what other people had. You wanted it for yourself. You you know, you know, spend those workouts thinking about all the glory that's going to come along with it rather than all the little things that are sustainable. And eventually we all find out there are single-digit people that even make I'm going to say a serious livable wage off pure race wins. Yeah. There's just not glory and riches and fame beyond your wildest dreams available. Having been in the sport a decade now, we've all been waiting for that million-dollar break that appears, and it's just not coming. Yeah. And the sooner people can realize, all right, forget the trappings. I'm going to refocus on being the best I can possibly be because that's an awesome thing to do rather than because I need the glory and the trappings that come with it. The faster you can accelerate that curve, yeah. the better for you. Instagram is really just does not help anything. No, you it see everybody. I agree with that. And you know what's to piggyback that? In all my spots, so I make no money racing, right? I'm not, I have not performed to that level yet. And maybe I still will. I think it's still in me, of course. But I've made all my money in this sport on sponsorships and it's not a ton. Don't get me wrong. This isn't a humble brag because there's nothing to brag about, but everybody that's everybody that signed me on has said not one thing about my race performances or how good I am. It's all like, we like who you are as a human. And we like how you represent that on social media, that you have a life outside of racing. And that's been said in all of my conversations, like, Hey, you're not just a one track mind. You're relatable because you do more than just one thing. It's the only reason I got a Gone Rogue sponsorship. It's the only reason I got my current USANA sponsorship is because I have more to my life than just this dumb sport. And so like for people to know, like it has, I think very little to do with your results and more to do is who you are as like a human and people recognizing that is going to get you way further as far as cash and paychecks than taking first place. And most of those spots are already taken by a handful of people anyways. Yeah. I don't know if that resonated or made sense or not, but it did Mm -hmm. i love it and the days of showing up and picking up easy money each week are over yeah a great race now might get you first and it might get you 10th (laughs) and it's the same race a great race can get you 10th place in the sport Mm -hmm. and as soon as you accept that it helps you again settle towards that nick that hobie that mindset of let's celebrate being a fit rather than i can't wait for the glory yeah nick i want to ask you a tough question Mm-hmm. Not a tough question, but um, like I'm not a very strong man of faith. I believe in something. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is necessarily. I got disconnected years ago. Um, I grew yeah. up Catholic and then had a bad experience with the priest at my – it doesn't really matter. But it was one of those classic Catholic situations you can imagine okay. happened in my church yeah. to the guy I looked up to. And it, I've, I've been distant since. But I know you're one of the strongest yeah. men of faith. We don't discuss faith a lot on this podcast because it doesn't organically come up. But with you, I think yeah. – uh, I think of faith and we talked about when we talked to you last time, you know, I asked you about your faith and how you felt about this. And that's when you broke down and you started crying yeah. and said you were so mad at, at God and you were, you know, like you didn't understand. And yeah. I would really like to pick up that part of your life, like that part of the conversation, like how has that relationship, and this is coming from somebody who again is, uh-huh. doesn't understand it like you do. Cause I've chosen not yeah. to. So help me understand like, how has your relationship grown or yeah, evolved? 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's like I said last time. Like I was so, so mad because it's like, why is something really unhealthy happening to somebody who's always taking care of his body, always done something right, you know, never fallen off too too much of the path? And I was just so mad at it. Um, but I looked back and it was like I. It wasn't a punishment at all, but I was like, I actually wasn't, like, following what I believed in. You know, I wasn't being a man of God who I thought I was supposed to, like, I, was, I should be. And then you take that step back, and when I, again, like, I strip everything down. If racing was gone, everything was gone. If my whole family was gone and everything, like, my relationship with the Lord should still be there. And I look back, and it's like, you have to build that back up before anything else. So I should have probably started this. Like, I had to build my relationship back with God before I can do anything else. Because um, that's supposed to be our number one priority in life, is have a relationship with Him, live your life through Him. Um, so I, that's what I've been still working at every day. It's like, it, He still has to, the, my faith still has to be a priority, and then everything after that, you can really go after it in life. But, um, so it's been awesome. It's really grown a lot the past year. Um, got really involved back in my church, just, just trying to live that lifestyle that I remember when I was in high school and college, like that was always the number one priority. And then when I got out of there and I started trying to chase OCR fame, that even is a thing, um, it took a back burner. Um, so it's, it's in a really good spot. How long did that process take to move from anger to, I don't even know if acceptance had to come into there, but anger to acceptance to trying to rebuild? Not... Not too, I mean, maybe a couple months. I had a really good talk with my pastor from back home that, like, I, you know, did a lot with my home church. I had a really good talk with him. And after that, it just, I mean, maybe one or two months, like, I find, that's when it finally just clicked with me. When I started getting better, um, my body started healing, is when I clicked. It's like, hey, I'm like, your priority is not right. And it's number one, it's you got to be, it's your faith. So, um, it did not take as long as some people might take long for them. Um, so I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, after you have a, a fight with your significant other, you know, and you have the big blowout, you typically understand each other a little better afterwards, don't you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how get up. <laughs> it's, it, it, that goes for me I, and Jess, for sure. Okay. I mean, you talk about only a couple months, but if you look at it from a relational standpoint, a couple months of is a significant yeah. time investment. There's a lot of time for things to go wrong in there, especially when you're confronted on a daily basis with a depressing moment or two, which sounds like the first 90 minutes of your day aren't the most enlightening <laughs> moments of one's life. If it's a recommitment to feeling miserable each morning, it also would have to be a recommitment to growth every morning. Yeah. Mm. So what does that look like when you said you recommitted? Like, Can you actually walk me through... I have an odd fascination with religion, um, mm -hmm. mostly because there are so many of them. And I have this like, you know, existential question of like, well, we all can't mm -hmm. be right. Like everybody in the right. world isn't right. So who? so I just that's I have true. this fascination with it. And that's what I think leads me to not latch on to one idea yet. But in your eyes, like, so I have a curiosity. That's why I'm asking. Point being is mm -hmm. um, like, what does that recommitment look like? Like walk me through a day or a week or like the thought process behind recommitting to something like that yeah so it's a good question and I, I have the same i mean i think about that all the time still mm -hmm. too like there's we don't know like there's so many religions out there like somebody has to be wrong somebody has to be right who actually knows like it's it's right. 
I mean, it's a deep thought you have to have, but, um, I mean, recommitting, it's just like, I remember when I was probably at my happiest and most just, just like, I always look forward to the day is when I started my day just really being thankful for my relationship with the Lord, really praying for, you know, my family, my, my friends at work, all my friends, and just, just my life and just always trying to be like with him. Um, so it's like, you have to start your day with that. Sometimes it's on the toilet for me. Um, uh, but it's like, Hey, like, I'm so thankful that I didn't just keep, I wasn't so mad at you for so long that I never got healthy. So would a non, would a non-religious version of that be you start your day with gratitude? Yeah, it would be like, you start like, what are the great things that have happened in your life? Um, and I, I still think about that, like what are the great things and the greatest thing is for me is, you know, being a believer in Christ. Cause I know I've lived without it. And like at the moment, it seems like I'm living, like I'm all good and I'm living passionate and I have fun, but like, it's, it's something in me. It's always missing. It feels like it. And when I know I'm living with them, I have so, so much more appreciation for everything. And that's, and it goes back even to racing, like those days that I just obsessed about racing and I had bad races and I was really mad at myself. It's because like, honestly, if I just took a step back and just had my relationship with the Lord, like it wouldn't have mattered that much because at the end of the day, we're all going to die and something's going to happen. And if you live for eternity, like that little small race that you had doesn't truly matter because you're going to live for eternity. It's something great for all with everybody that you love is supposed to be up there and you're going to be reborn. Um, so that's that's how I, that's what my relationship with God looks like now. It's just like, yeah, this really sucks that I'm going through this, but it says in the Bible we'll be reborn with a new body in the image of God up there. So that's what I just got, got to look forward to. Bracken, what are you doing over there? That was, that was really hard to talk about, Bracken, while you were doing squats. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's disrespectful, Nick. My nerve thing's back. Oh, you're back? It was gone for, th- for three and a half weeks. And it's just these random nerve firings. And right now it's centered like in a glute and down the back of a leg. But sitting is like the thing that sets it off right now. We've been here for 99 minutes. minutes yeah. and like it's, it's almost unbearable right now. So I got to move and I'm trying to stretch and <laughs> what apparently is distracting. Old age is not going to suit you well, is it? Yeah, do we got to do. I, I swear I'm not doing anything wrong right now. <laughs> In the past, I could blame this on bad workouts, bad form, not doing my core work, not stretching, but I'm doing everything right. This, I still swear this is COVID after effects mm. on, my, on my nervous system. Well, we wish you the best, Bracken. Nick. I'm not just trying to make a play for, hey, I got stuff in my life. No, I- <laughs> but I can't sit on a stool one second longer today. Oh, man. Well, Nick, I appreciate you going down that, that path. I was just yeah. a personal curiosity. I'd wondered. I wanted to pick that up because that was sort of a that, – that moment of our first conversation stuck out to me. Yeah. Um, let's pivot then to what's what your approach is moving forward. Like unless there's a couple things in the past you want to dive into, Bracken, or, or untangle, I think we just kind of look look ahead now and – and see what we got coming up, what your hopes and dreams and aspirations are. Now that you realize that, hey, I got a body that I'm somewhat figuring out, like yeah. that must open a lot of doors for you um, as yeah. far as potential goes. So what are we what are we looking at? Like you tell me racing or just life or okay. Yeah, um, you tell me. Um not sure. I would really just in racing world, like this season is all about savage and 
I just want going forward now is just I, I honestly haven't thought about it too much I just I'm just so happy to be back out there racing and then going forward for the years coming it's just gonna be just keep doing what I love to do and that is race and meet as many people as I can while racing and I'm not trying to be an inspiration to anybody but hopefully my story just helps people a little bit like that running is a privilege but make sure everything in your life's good to, good to go but then looking forward just I, I'm excited about job opportunities that I have just like I really love what I do here um, and I don't even know where I'm going with that but I, I'm just really I'm really glad thankful like this because just a year ago I could not think of anything and now I'm just thinking like I have so much ahead of me and I'm and I'm just really happy about it. You know what I've raced my best is, which I wouldn't even tell people to subscribe to, but it sounds like maybe you're in that boat. Bracken, you're kind of in that boat too. Like one race at a time. Just take things one damn race at a time. Don't get too caught up in the big picture. Do the little things day to day to get you to one race and then put your energy into whatever strikes your fancy next. That's when I've been in the best racing patterns of my life. It's what I've been doing recently. And although I haven't had great performances on the Spartan front, it sure wasn't because of lack of fitness. It was because of no, mistakes. it wasn't. So <laughs> yeah. point being is in Bracken, I know you're kind of been doing that. I, I just feel like that works for me. And I understand how that could maybe work for somebody else too. Sounds like that's what you're doing. Yeah. It is just like after this, like Saturday series, I don't really have anything planned. It's just, I'm just looking forward to whatever comes up next and training really hard for it the best I can and just keep proving even honestly I still have self-doubts like hey I haven't put in the effort as other people but she's still proving myself wrong with this so it's really exciting time with it so is go ruck games next for you yeah it is next weekend all right so this knowing what we know now about you this is a challenging weekend yeah you're gonna have to compete multiple times a day yeah for multiple days mm-hmm. everyone else is gonna be getting done with the event immediately cramming uh-huh. calories and and liquids and what is your overarching plan of attack for the weekend? I, I need to know the schedule. Uh, that's honest. Because I did DecaFit, I did two races in one day. And it literally, as soon as I got done being dead off the turf in Denver, I ate uh, a small little sandwich. And then I didn't eat again until after my race that evening, which is at like 4 or 5 p.m., the doubles. Um, so it's going to have to go a lot off schedule. If there's three or four hours in between events I can maybe get something in but if we're going back to back to back if we're doing a 15 mile ruck people have talked about I'm just gonna have to just keep sipping my water and hopefully this year of being used to it just helps me can you sip calories yeah I can I can drink Gatorade yeah I can drink what about Gatorade. like a tailwind or Endurly I probably could I haven't tried it so like I'll drink half a Gatorade in the morning before I race so there's at least something mm. counting calories but I haven't tried anything else i'm sure i would be fine i just knew gator i, I drank gatorade before anything happened so i just stuck with it i mean far be it from us to preach but i think that's the logical place to start is it would be yeah mixing a hundred calorie bottle and then mixing a 150 and then mixing mm-hmm. a two and then a 250 and finding out what can i take in over what amount of time yeah that kind of event is made to expose poor fueling it is yeah no time to experiment though so it means it's happening out there <laughs> What do you got? Eight days? Yeah, eight days. Um, I'm excited for it. I, to be honest, if anybody's listening, I haven't really done much to train for it, but I'm just excited to get down there, see a lot of people I know, 
Um, and it's going to be a really fun time. Yeah. Poop in some new places. See the world. Yeah, surprise you guys. Well, I'm not seeing the world. I've been in Jacksonville like 10 times in the past four years for races. <laughs> Where is Go Ruck Games? It's in Jacksonville. It is in Jacksonville. Oh, that's ironic, yeah. Yeah. So, so other than Savage then, so those are things that are definitely on your calendar. Then we have Go yeah. Ruck Games. Is there anything anything else? Decafit Worlds in the fall. So the plan is, the plan was because Savage gets over in June. I'm trail running Spartan Racing Savage the first half and then the second half of the year. I'm going to try to dabble more into Decafit. Might even try my first solo High Rocks. Um, but again, that's a lot of training volume, so we'll see. And that's where I go back and forth because like, I know I need to put weight on. Can I put weight on while not? Because I've, I've talked to Rich Ryan. Rich Ryan came on this podcast and talked about how much he eats to put on his weight. And I'm like, am I able to do it? It would be an experiment. I would maybe like to try if I can put 10 pounds on, 15 pounds on without eating as much as I need to be. So just going to be chugging mass gainer. Huh? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> What's your plan for qualifying for for? Deco Worlds, uh, run a top twelve time. I mean, where? <laughs> like, are you trying to get one in early, or are you second half loading that? Uh, second half loading. Well, there's only three left. There's one in May, one in July, one in September. Then Worlds. So I'm gonna try to do Chicago in July, and then West okay. Palm. Yeah, West Palm in September. Providence in August just got canceled. So, oh, it did? Yeah. Oh, I've got a bunch of athletes that were going to that Yeah, one. I talked to Yancey. I was like, because uh, I went to the website and it said not found anymore. And Yancey said something happened. Um, they might try to do a makeup something, but those are the three guaranteed left. Okay. Well, I'll see you in Chicago. I'll be in Chicago. We're going to have a bunch down. of people in Chicago. I think we'll have uh, me, you. Rich. Uh, Rich, maybe Kent. You see Kent going. And then we'll have a couple others as well. It, I mean, it's, it's going to be a good time to go fast. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. My three decafits I've done, I've gotten slower every time, but I've gotten better fitness because I did it on asphalt, and then I did it on turf, and then I did it on turf in altitude. So I just keep getting slower. <laughs> i got to show up to one of these things. Yeah, you should. Yeah. What are you ranked right now? Oh, I don't even think I'm in the top 12 right now. Yeah. Yeah. De- For those people Denver. listening that aren't aware of it, the DecaFit Championships, the top twelve times qualify in. So you've there's only three qualifiers left, yeah. and a lot of people who want to get into that top twelve. Yeah. So the ne- I think Chicago and West Palm is going to be really competitive. I don't think a lot of people are going out to California for it, but no. the last two should be really good. Are you thinking past this season at all? Like as far as uh, are you just hard stop at like hour long races or less? If you can, and I, I, I have a lot of hope that I'm gonna. So like I, I got I cannot remember his name. There was an Olympic marathoner, I mean trials marathoner. This past trials in 2020, he has ulcerative colitis. I met messaged him on Facebook. I got to look up his name, but like we talked through Facebook for a couple months. Um, found out I was just looking up athletes who have ulcerative colitis, and he was up, and he was like a top. 100 in the marathon trials which you know is still pretty good um but he was telling me for like when he came out of his big flare for like a year he was just running in circles around his house pretty much 
Um, and then it slowly started getting better because he, he hit his qualifying time in 2017, I think it is. And then he got sick at the end of 2017. And he spent the next three years trying to get better for it. And he eventually did what he said. He's, he's good. He could take his fuel. And um, so that gives me hope. Maybe that happens to me. But like right now, I don't even want to think about it. Okay. Yeah. You're just waiting as you unlock a new yeah. attribute, a new mm-hmm. talent or yeah. a new distance. Then now, cool, I can think about that. Yeah. Maybe like, yeah, I think about like maybe I'll have a, a whole weekend free and I just try it out to go longer, try to do fuel, um, to see if my body holds up that way. But right now I'm not trying to push anything. Um, yeah. cause it's still less than a year. And I mean, I'm in these Facebook groups of people with UC and Crohn's and that's a lot of people are way more than a year. A lot of people are. So like, I feel very blessed that it's been pretty accelerated for me. Um, but at the same time, like I'm I don't know what I'm going to be like a year from now. What if I'm in a huge another flare um, and I lose 20 pounds again? Uh, so, like, I don't want to start thinking about that. So it's just on the moment. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a smart way to do it, if I'm being honest with yeah. you. Yeah. And then just another, you mentioned, uh, um, well, Bracken, go ahead on the training front because I want to ask him about work. This is my last curiosity about it and about the struggle, which is that I'm, I'm assuming that this is all diarrhea in nature. Yeah. This isn't solid. Yes. Oh, like what I am now? Yeah, in the morning. Oh, it's, every morning. it's solid. Oh, it is. It's solid, yeah. Oh, well then, never Just, mind then. Yeah. We've always, no, we've always talked about having a, a poop story podcast, like where we just dedicate yeah. to going from athlete to athlete to talk about run poop stories. And I think we'll have to, you'll have to back clean up on that episode. He's not even allowed because everything we say up until that point will just pale in comparison. Yeah, it's been some embarrassing places. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I wish I had my cart, my wallet with me. There's um, since I have UC in the state of Tennessee. If I'm like at any public place and I have to go to the bathroom, I can flash this card, and by law, I get to cut anybody in line. Or like if I'm in like a retail store and they have a private bathroom, by law, they have to let me use the bathroom. I haven't done it yet. I really want to, though. I'd flash that at the porta potties. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Rucker, you see. Let me in. Yo, I really want to go to, like, Dick's, not Dick's, but, like, some mom and pop, like, running shoe store that only has private bathrooms and say, hey, I got this. I, I got to go. And just, and just go pee or something. Go. It's officially UC business. Step aside, please. <laughs> yeah. That's some power. So, yeah. that's power. So, let's work on wrapping this thing up, mostly because I have to go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then speaking of work, you said you were kind of excited about like career and stuff. You mentioned like, hey, yeah, like, like, do you have any, I know you're at work. So if your plans include somewhere other than this current place of work, you don't have to talk about it, but no, it's definitely, what are you thinking? This place It's really exciting. So I work at the corporate headquarters of D one. We have 70 locations. Um, my general manager who, um, hired me is now part owner of my location. You didn't meet him, Ace, um, Bracken. He was gone the day you came. But he now has bought seven locations. He's building his own corporate team. Um, so it's just at a job I didn't think there was going to be a lot of growth. There's just a lot of growth opportunities, and at an at a industry I never even thought I would be in, and now I'm in it, and I'm think I'm pretty good at what I do. So it's just it's really exciting times. It's it's finally like when I moved to Nashville, I thought this is going to be the life immediately that I was going to be living. 
Um, it took a while, but so it's now just it's manifested into what I finally thought it was going to be like. So it's a good time. Now, you guys said you were building or already have a location in Milwaukee? Uh, I don't know. I think they are. I think they are. So like, well, get up here on some work trips. Every D one, you know, is up. It's owned by a different person, unless they own multiple. Like my boss is going to. So like, we don't have a lot of communication with other D one facilities. Can't get set up here to oversee something and get some workouts in. Probably not. It's a bummer. I have yeah. a random question for you now that we're wrapping this up. You said you grew up in Southern Illinois. Yep. Um, is Southern Illinois the South or the North? I heard a debate on a recent podcast that if you're from the far South in Illinois. You might as well be from the South. Do you agree with that or do you disagree with that? Uh, agree and disagree. So I'll, I took Illinois history in high school, mm-hmm. so I know a little bit about Illinois. That was a class we had. Um, and Southern Illinois, and during the Civil War, almost broke off from Illinois to join um, the South. Yeah. But it didn't. There was like one man, his name was John A. Logan. Now there's a community college named John A. Logan in the town away, um, across from my hometown. And he pretty much, the story goes, he pretty much kept Southern Illinois together. So to me, I say I'm a Northerner, but historians might say Southern Illinois could be considered like a part of the South. Well, well people don't realize wow. how, if you look at a map and you look how far down South, the South tip of Illinois is, I think yeah. nine, nine out of 10 people have no idea how far South that is and what states are actually yeah. North of it, of South Illinois. It is yeah. light years South. So I just heard it come up. So I was curious as to your take being a, southern illinoisan and that was a well-versed reply yeah uh, can you tell i've said that to people it's more to nick than meets the eye i set you up to look real good there nick mm-hmm. thank you mm-hmm. you have any other hidden trivia talents no that's honestly one of my best facts i have it's enough for me it's enough for me too anything else we got to wedge in there any concluders bracken i think i leave it up to nick he's the one dropping all the inspiration here um honestly i want to say thank you to after my last episode with you guys with to everybody that reached out to me um that was awesome like still people coming up to races and saying like like whatever i said helped them out i don't know how that is but like it just it means a lot to me like i there was a lot of people in my corner that i didn't know that were in my corner that really and still like they still send me messages that hey man what you've been through, you've been killing it. And it's like, I don't, I don't know you, but like everybody has ever said, th- like reached out to me. Just thank you. Cause it's, that really did get me out of from a dark place about a year ago. So thank you. Something that's been a pleasant surprise about this, this whole experience of, of putting this podcast together is that people generally reach out to others mm-hmm. afterwards there. Some are shy too. Some are hesitant, but for the most part, if someone comes on here and talks about something and it impacts someone, they hear they hear mm-hmm. about it afterwards, and I've been I've been pleasantly surprised and impressed with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it really did like leave me like I I was pretty depressed and just all those people saying hey we can't wait to see you back out there like that did get me going again. So thank you, to you guys. It's been it's been an awesome year. It really has been. It looks like it has been. Uh huh. And we get this sense of, I don't know, pride. Any person that comes on here, we, we feel like we get this little attachment to them and their success makes us happy afterwards. And you're one of the prime examples of that, where prior to you coming on, we had chatted a bit, but I wouldn't say that we had any deeper relationship than yeah. a lot of the other guys I've raced against. Because yeah. we actually haven't raced against each other all that often. But no. afterwards, I kind of felt like, 
you're, you're one of those relatives that I may not see every month, but as soon as I see him, I'm like, man, we go way back. And that's not the case, but we did a shakeout run. We did a shakeout <laughs> run. So I feel, I feel a little deeper, a little more deeply attached to you mm. and seeing your year progress the way it has. I just feel proud of it, even though like, it's not my success. I love seeing your success. Thank you. Cause I mean, it did help me though, getting it all out. Like it was therapeutic to finally say it all off my chest a year ago. So, so thank you guys. There's power to that. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Well, sir, till the next one, right? Till the next time. Till the next race, too. Chapter three. We'll go over all these championships you won. That'll be awesome. <laughs> all right. Wrapping it up. Nicholas, thank you very much for yeah. thank you guys. your time. Thank you. See ya. Thank you.